Good to see all of you this morning, especially those of you that survived the church picnic yesterday. We had a great time. I want to thank Robert and Dana again for having a few hundred friends out to their house yesterday. Yeah. It was, it was great. I'm doing a little setup here. Actually, I need it a little bit higher, don't I? All right. We're going to do something a little bit different today. Every once in a while, I like to do something different. Keep our, keep our Sundays and Wednesdays, you know, different. So I asked Miss Cameron Filardi to come this morning and to, before I speak uh, from the passage of Scripture, to read the passage of Scripture to us this morning. So would you please give your attention to Miss Cameron as she comes and shares the word with us this morning. gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for the works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son and God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Amen. Thank you, Cameron. Thank you. Yeah. So a great passage of scripture, one that just sort of continues the, the theme we've been talking about in this series, how God designs the church and builds the church so that his glory can be seen in the church. In fact, in chapter 3, verse 21, Paul says, to him be glory in the church. Well, in order for us to see God's glory in the church, obviously we, the church, the people of God, we need to be a certain way. God's glory cannot be seen in the church if if you and I are not being dedicated, consecrated followers of Jesus Christ. Nor can we, as we've talked about earlier in this series, really manifest the wisdom of God to the angels in heaven if we're not dedicated and consecrated followers of God. And then last week, we also saw in chapter 4, verse 10, the verse right before the passage Cameron read this morning that we're going to look at, is that Jesus Christ descended from glory, lived here on earth, sacrificed himself on the cross, resurrected from the dead, and then ascended back to glory, not so that everything was finished. Yes, What he had to do for us to have a relationship with God, that was finished. That's why he says on the cross before he died, it is finished. The way to God, the way of salvation has now been secured. But that doesn't mean that the work of God is done. Because Jesus said, now, after I go back to heaven, I'm going to build my church. 
And it's going to be through my people, through the church, that my glory is to be seen and that I'm going to fill all things. Chapter 4, verse 10. And we saw last week that that means that God wants to diffuse His influence through us everywhere we go. Now, we said last week, in order to do that, we've got to come together first. God calls us to be together as the body of Christ and to learn from each other and grow from each other and all that. And that's where Paul picks this up today. Because you'll notice I'm sort of picking up where I left off last week in verse 11, where it says, it was he, Jesus, who gave. And he starts giving this representative list, if you will, of roles in the church. Now, this isn't an exhaustive list. This is just representative. But what Paul is saying is, you realize that that Jesus went through everything he did on earth and then ascended back to heaven so that he could begin to build his church. And he does that by giving to the church you and I. We are gifts from Christ to his church. Now, in this passage we're going to look at this morning, I want to share with you seven marks of maturity. Seven marks of spiritual maturity. The reason being is because if God's glory is to be seen in the church, if we as the church are going to fill all things wherever we go, if we're going to manifest the wisdom of God to the angels in heaven, then we need to be a maturing, growing group of people. God is not going to be seen for who he really is through the church if we're all baby Christians. If we're all just saved. And let's not even forget the fact that in every local church, in every community of believers, we can never take for granted everybody there is a Christian. That's never the case. Even here at the Oasis, not 100% of the people who come here are truly born-again believers. And the church is always going to have to deal with that, but they're certainly welcome to come. Any unsaved person is welcome to be a part of our church at any time. But God's glory won't be seen through them. And God's glory really won't be seen through those who just have accepted Jesus as their Savior. In some way, yes, but not the way God wants to manifest himself in the church. The only way that's going to happen is if you and I, in a sense, buy into God's program, which is to build us into disciples of Jesus Christ. But before I start sharing this morning, I think also that this passage of Scripture may be, as well as any other passage of Scripture, is sort of one that explains why we here at the Oasis do the things that we do and we're the kind of church that we are. Because no church, no two churches are exactly the same. All churches are going to have different focuses and different emphasis, but there should be in every local church the emphasis on what Paul talks about today. Because that's the only way that God's glory is going to be seen in us, his people, as we gather together. So in verse 11 of chapter 4, here's the first mark of maturity. And I mentioned this last week, but it's bears repeating this week. And that is that we see ourselves as a gift of Christ to his church. And therefore, we are responsible to our fellow believers. 
That's what he's teaching in chapter 4, verse 11. That when Jesus went back to glory, he began, he began to dole out, if you will, gifts to his church. And those gifts are you and I who know him as our personal savior. And he poured into us his grace. That's what he talked about last week in chapter 4, verse 7. To each and every one of us as believers, the grace of God has been given to us. God poured out his grace in our lives. Not so that we could keep it to ourselves, but so that we could share it with our fellow believers. Not so that we could have all these spiritual gifts for our own benefit, but for the benefit of our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, Paul says, To each one of us, the manifestation of the Spirit was given so that all could benefit. Did you hear me? To each one of us, the manifestation of the Spirit was given to benefit all of us. Not just me, not just you. That's our responsibility. That's why also Paul is teaching here in this passage of Scripture that before we focus our ministry outward to others, we've got to focus it inward. And that that's not a selfish thing. That's an absolute necessity as a spiritual Christian. Let me share with you a little bit more what I mean by that. Individually, before God can really use us to touch and impact and influence other people in a positive way, we've got to do what Paul's already told us to do, and that is come to God and be filled by Him. So that when we minister and we serve and we touch other people's lives, we do it out of the overflow of our life. Think of Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus while her sister Martha was all frantically running around serving. Again, it's not that serving is wrong. It's just that Mary had the right order. I first have to sit at the feet of Jesus and be filled up by him. And then when I do get up to start serving and touching other people's lives, I do it out of the overflow. That's what we want to try to do here and encourage others to do. If you want to serve, if you want to minister, we we want that. But we want you to do it first as you get filled up by God. Well, the same principle is true as a church. See, so many churches and so many Christians are so focused on, we've got to go out there and we've got to minister outside these four walls. Yeah, that's true. Because God wants to fill all things. He wants to diffuse his influence in every place where we go. But in order to do that, we've got to focus our ministry inward first towards each other. We've got to, and we're going to see this, we've got to build each other up. We've got to minister to each other. We've got to use our spiritual gifts and whatever to edify each other. Then, that's why God calls us together. Then as we come together and we begin to grow and mature and gain strength spiritually and all of that, then we can effectively go out and minister to those outside. So often in churches today, though, ministering inside first isn't even a consideration. But we continue to ask Christians, now get out there and serve before we minister to each other first. That's why Paul starts off this passage by saying, it was Jesus, not us. It was he who gave apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Do you see yourself as a gift A gift from Christ to his church. A gift that has been gifted. 
A gift that has had God's grace poured into your life. Again, not to keep it to yourself, but to use it for the profit and benefit of your brothers and sisters in Christ around you. That's the first mark of maturity. Then notice the second mark of maturity in verse 12. Paul specifically says that it is the pastor and teacher's jobs in the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, that is to build up the body of Christ. The second mark of maturity is this, to have a drive, an inner drive within us to grow and become spiritually fit and healthy in order to build up the body of Christ. Again, God can't use my life if it's in a spiritually weakened state. If I'm spiritually unhealthy or unfit, there's going to be a limit to how God can use me to profit and benefit another believer. So God calls all of us to commit ourselves, each and every one of us in the body, to grow and mature and allow the pastors and teachers and others in our church to equip us so that then we can notice, do the work of the ministry. And what's the work of the ministry? It's not going outside these walls first. It's first what? Building up the body. That's the first work. Building each other up inside first. So that we can begin to manifest the glory of God and then fill all things as God sends us out. The word equip means to render something in a good condition, if you will. To make something fit. That's our job. That's my job. That's my responsibility. I I need to create an environment here at the Oasis where if you come and you come faithfully and you come consistently and you sit under the ministry, you should be in a place where you are getting uh, spiritually fit and healthy and you are in a better and better condition where you can grow, where you can mature, so that God can use you and I even more to build up the body of Christ. It means to promote growth in my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. To be in a place where growth is happening all around us and in us. That's a mark of maturity. See, that, that's our, that should be our mindset. That should be what gets us up and out of bed on Sunday morning and brings us to a place like the Oasis. That should be something that motivates us to come on Wednesday night and to other things that we offer here at the church, whether it's the men's Bible study or women's Bible study or all these other things. Why do we do this? Why? Because we want to be part of building up the body of Christ. But in order for God to use me to build up the other members of the body of Christ, God first has to build me up. He's got to grow me. I've got to continually be in a place where I'm becoming more and more fit and healthy, spiritually speaking, you see. Another thing the word equip means is to bring something to a good condition by making continual adjustments. Think of it like you do the way you handle your car, your vehicle. Because it keeps piling up mileage as you and I run it, we've got to take it into the garage every once in a while and get a tune-up. 
It's got to continue to have adjustments made or else it's going to break down and it's not going to function properly. Well, God says the same thing is true for you and I spiritually. As we exist in this life and we go out there in the world and stuff, we start piling mileage up spiritually. And unless we continually come to God and in his presence and before his people and before the word and continue to make adjustments that need to be made, we don't stay in a sense in good running condition spiritually. We begin to get weak or break down and become to a place where we're not functioning at the highest level. Very interestingly, too, this word equipped was used in ancient times to speak of those fishermen who were mending their nets after they had used them so often. And in order to keep catching all those fish, they had to repair the holes. You even see the disciples doing that as Jesus was calling them to be fishers of men. This word was also used about those who would set bones in place that were broken or out of joint. It's talking about those adjustments that need to be made in order for something to be in good working order. And God is saying to his people, a mark of maturity will be that I have a drive in my life to make sure that I'm always in good working order. That I am spiritually fit and healthy. Again, not just for my own benefit, but so that God can use my life to build up the body of Christ. Then notice the third mark of maturity, verse 13. It is a desire to see and encourage more and more of our fellow believers to participate and engage in the ministry of the local church. Let me repeat that. The third mark of maturity is a desire to see and encourage more and more of our fellow believers to participate and engage in the ministry of the local church. Why? Because notice what Paul says in verse 13. We are to have this drive to be equipped to do the work of the ministry and build up the body of Christ until we, and what's that next word? All. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Until we all. That's why the ministry of the local church will never cease. We'll never get to a place where we go, well, we're done. Because it is up to all of us to get everybody engaged, to get everybody participating, to get everybody involved in this. Well, we all know in every local church, you've got the people who They're in, they're they're ministering, they're serving, they're engaged, they're participating. And then you've always got those others, whether they keep coming in or whether they've been here, that they're not with us yet. And it's up to us, if we are mature Christians, to put our arm around people and go, hey, let's go, let's get involved together, let's do this together. Because it's, it's God's heart that he sees everybody in the church doing something, you see. Until we all get there. You see. That's what it's all about. So that no person is left out. So that everybody is included in some way. You see. That's, that's when the church, I like to say, is really humming, if you will. Using the whole automobile thing. The more we can get people engaged... 
the more we can get people participating. In fact, that's one of the reasons why I think I want to start having people periodically come and just just read the scripture before I speak. The more people we can get doing something, not that Cameron, Cameron already has her own ministry in this church, by the way. She helps Crystal out a ton over there in the children's ministry. But I'm just saying that the more people that we can get doing something, that should be our goal. And if we're a mature believer, then we're not just thinking about me and my participation. We're thinking about how can I encourage others to participate? Can God use me to invite somebody so that they come with me? You see, whether it's even to come to church, like going out and saying, hey, would you come next Sunday to the Oasis with me? Or maybe it's somebody that you know here, but you think, well, you know, they're not involved with that, but maybe they'd like to. And maybe all it's going to take from us is just a personal invitation saying, hey, the next time I go to the homeless ministry and do that, would you come with me? Or the next time I go to the women's Bible study, would, would you go with me? Next time I go to the men's on Saturday morning, would, would you go with me? That's, that's a mark of maturity. Because we're never just looking at the body as just us. We're always looking around going, how can God use me to keep getting more and more people involved? Because the goal of God is until we all attain this until we all come to that harmony of the faith and a precise and accurate knowledge of the Son of God, which is what that word knowledge means. It's not just some kind of surfacey knowledge. It's a precise and correct knowledge of the Son of God. Because we know a lot of people think they know Jesus. They really don't know Jesus the way we all should. Then the fourth mark of maturity. We see it there In verse 13, a mature person attaining to the measure of Christ's full stature. In fact, he sort of mentions this same again in verse 15 when he says, by practicing the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Christ. I love that. I think that's a great phrase for spiritual growth and maturity. What does God want to see in his people? Not just that we come to salvation, but that we all grow up into Christ. So here's the fourth mark of maturity. To have as our goal, spiritual maturity, a progressive transformation into the likeness of Jesus Christ. That should be the goal of our life as a Christian. And that should be what we are interested and focused on as a local church. So many local churches today can get caught up in a lot of other goals. But God says, in my church, if you're going to show my glory, if you're going to teach the angels about my wisdom, if you're going to be a people that when you do come together, that you leave able to diffuse my influence everywhere you go, then that's going to take a level of spiritual maturity. You see, that's going to take spiritual growth. That means everybody in the church is going to have to be developing. And God expects, it's an expectation of God, that every one of his children are on a path of spiritual growth and maturity. 
that we are never satisfied where we are. But we are always putting things into our life and doing the things that we need to in order to keep developing and keep increasing and keep growing and keep maturing. Why? Because notice what he says. A mature person is always seeking to attain to the measure of Christ's full stature. The standard is not each other. That's why comparing ourselves to each other is not biblical. We can't say as a Christian, well, I'm, I'm more spiritual than that guy. So I'm, I'm, I'm good. Because the standard is never the other guy or the other girl. The standard is to be more like Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I got still a far way to go to be like Jesus. And therefore, I need to keep growing. I need to keep maturing. There's so much about my spiritual life that still needs development. I I can never become complacent or satisfied because I need to be more like Christ. And that's the goal. That's the goal of a mature believer. I mean, you can talk to other Christians and they'll say, well, I'm just glad I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven and my sins are forgiven and I'm good with that. I don't need to be involved in a local church. I don't need to really study my Bible or pray very often or go through all the spiritual disciplines. I'm happy with just... That is an answer from either someone that's really not a Christian. Can I just tell you? Or that's, that's an answer from a very, very immature Christian that has no concept of what God calls us to as his church, as his people. Because God says, my goal is that you and I make the goal of our life spiritual maturity. Notice the fifth mark of maturity. A stability and settledness in our life. I thought of that when we sang a couple of the songs we did today. You know, how we just need to not be shaken and just need to rest and and not, you know be agitated about all things, but just rest in the Lord. It's so important that we do that. Because notice what he says. The reason God wants us to mature, verse 14, is so that we are no longer to be children, childish, immature. Is it possible for a Christian to be childish and immature? Absolutely. That's why we've all got to grow up into Christ. And he says, here's the characteristics, first of all, of children. They're always tossed back and forth by waves and carried about by every wind of teaching. They fluctuate. They frequently change, just like children. Did you never notice that nothing holds a child's attention very long? Children have a very short attention span. Well, let's translate that then spiritually. You know what Paul's saying? Baby Christians or immature Christians have a very short attention span. You can't get them to focus on something and stick with it very long because they always want to go to something else. The sign of maturity is when we have this settledness and stability where we can lock on to something and, and focus on it for a long time without changing to something else. 
Children are also very indecisive. Again, that's another mark of immaturity. And God doesn't want to see us stay there. Obviously, he knows when we become Christians, that's where we are. But none of us needs to stay there. We need to be part of the body of Christ, part of a local church where we can grow up and not stay in that condition. And then notice he says, also children spiritually are susceptible to the trickery of people who craftily carry out their deceitful schemes. Another characteristic of children is that children are easily tricked and deceived. They are. I mean, just because, obviously, they're innocent. And you can fool them pretty easily. But God says, it would, it's really bad when my children are so tricked and deceived easily. And here's, here's really the the real bad thing that's happening in our world today. So the Bible says that in the last days, deception and false teaching and false prophets will increase. So, so hang in there. So that means there's going to be even more trickery and more deception because of the days in which we live. And then the Bible portrays the picture of in the last days, there's going to be less and less of God's people that are interested in spiritual growth and maturity. Which means there's even then more of God's people who are susceptible to the increase of trickery and deception that's out there. That's not a good combination, is it? That sets us up for a lot of problems, you see. That's why God calls us to spiritual growth and maturity. When you and I are growing up in Christ, we can see through the deception. We can see through the things that they're trying to do to us. And they will stop at nothing to try to get us to follow them. And that's why we've got to make sure that we are rooted and grounded in God's Word and in Christ or else we can start going down a really slippery slope in our life. God does not want His people to remain spiritual children. Again, He wants us in verse 15 to grow up. To grow up into Christ. And so that is another mark of maturity. A stability. A settledness in our life. God doesn't want His people to continually be carried about, driven, tossed back and forth like the waves of the sea. Can never settle on anything and stick with it very long. Two more. Number six. A willingness to be involved in a close-knit family of believers. That's another mark of maturity. A willingness to be part of and involved in a close-knit family of believers. Again, that's something a lot of Christians don't want any parts of today. They just want to come sit somewhere very quietly on a Sunday, scoot out before the last song is done, get out into the parking lot, get in their car, and leave without any interaction with anybody. They don't want anybody building a relationship with them, or they don't want to either. But notice what Paul says in verse 15. 
But practicing the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Christ who is the head. From him, the whole body grows. And notice these next very important words. They mean a lot here. Fitted and held together through every supporting ligament. The word fitted means to join something closely together. Think of being glued together. Or those of you who are much more knowledgeable about this than me in the construction industry or building industry, it'd be like putting two pieces of wood, say, very tightly together so that they hold. That's what God wants to do with us. He wants to fit us together. And then notice he wants to hold us together. That word means to be fused and welded together. That's what the word means. God wants to fuse and weld believers together because it is only, as we've seen throughout our study of Ephesians, in a close-knit community of believers will these things happen. If we're not close to each other and we have no connection, then how can I influence you? How can you influence me? As I've said to you before, we can impress people from a distance, but we can only impact them up close. If God is going to use your life and my life to impact and influence others, there's got to be some kind of close connection. I might impress you, but I will never impact you if you and I are far apart. That's why God calls us together. That's why God says, let me fit you to this body. Let me weld you. Let me fuse you in with these people. And here's the thing. Can I say this? Here's why the church, the local church, is even more of a laboratory of our spiritual life than our home is. Some of you are going to go, no, that's not true. Yes, it is. Let me tell you why. Why is the local church more of a laboratory for where we are spiritually than even our home? Because those we exist with in our home are those we chose to exist with. I mean, for the most part, I hope you chose the spouse you married. And if you have children, you chose to have those children. They weren't forced on you, if you will. But see, here's the difference with the local church. The local church is a group of people where we go, I didn't choose to do life with them. And God says, I know you didn't. I chose them for you. Trust me. It's a whole other level of spirituality. Because then we've got to trust that that God has a reason of why he placed me into these people. I'm looking around going, I wouldn't have chosen those people. Now, let me say this. To be fair, there's some of you I would have chosen. But I can't say that about everybody. But God says... That's where your spirituality is really going to be seen in that laboratory. You see? I mean, yeah, the home is a lab. And of course, our work and our school and all of that, they're labs. But the real laboratory of our spiritual life is going to be our local church family. Because God is saying, are you going to trust me to build you up through these other people? And are you going to trust me to use you to build them up? That's the real test. And then finally, 
in verse 16, the last mark of maturity, an eagerness to do one's part or to be a part of growing his church in both size and strength. Again, I'll repeat that. The last mark of maturity is an eagerness, an eagerness, and that's important. An eagerness to do one's part or to be a part of God growing his church in both size and strength. That's what we read in the last phrase of verse 16. As each one, each and every one, not just the pastors, not just the elders, not just the staff, not just the ministry leaders, every last person in the local church from God's perspective is to have a part and to do their part. So that what? The body grows in love, on the basis of love. In other words, why do I want to do my part? Why am I eager to do my part? Because I love these people. God has given me a love for my brothers and sisters in Christ. And therefore, I want to do my part, whatever that part is. And here's the thing. As we wrap this passage up today, only you and God know what that part is. Only you and God know right now in this season, here even at the Oasis, if this is your church, what that part is. I don't know. But you do. Or you should. Because again, if, if you're growing and maturing, one of the things you say, God, what, what would you have me to do? What part do you want me to play? I don't want to just be part of a local church where I just go. I want to be a part of it. I want to participate. And God says to his people, I trust me. He says, if you are part of my body, if you are part of the church, you will have a part to play because I've actually given you it. It's an assignment from God. It's like using a very unspiritual illustration. It's like the blues, but I'm on a mission from God. That, that's what God wants all of his people to, to get up every day and realize. God has me on a mission. I have a part to play in his body. He wants to use my life to build up my brothers and sisters in Christ so that all of us become spiritual uh, giants and we grow and we mature so that his glory can be seen, so that we can manifest his wisdom to the angels, so that we can fill this earth with his knowledge and his power and his activity. That's what God calls us to. He calls us to dedicate ourselves to the church that he is building. So I ask you, Again, what part does God want you to play? That even comes in very nicely after Scott gave a great presentation about where God has us headed as a church. Because obviously God wants you and I to play a part right now because what he's doing now is building the foundation for what he's going to do through us in the future. But in order to get there, God needs everyone to play their part. Whether it's in giving or just inviting people to the church now and being part of our ministry now so that we can become strong now and even stronger now. It's important. And as Paul's already said, when you and I live that life, 
What we are engaged in will have meaning throughout eternity. A lot of the things that we involve our time with a million years from now really won't count or matter. But God promises his people that when you are involved in what Jesus is building, his church, his body, and you are involved in some way in building up the body of Christ by being built up yourself, that is something that will count for all eternity. Let's pray. God, we ask today that you would speak to our hearts, especially, Lord, about what part do you want me to play? Every, every Christian has a part. The question is not some people have a part to play and some don't. No, it's do I know what my part is and am I being obedient and following what God would have me to do in this season in life within my local church community? That's the question. And what it really comes down to is you and I need to center our lives in and on Jesus Christ. That's where everything then will fall into place. So many even here this morning, your life may be just frazzled. You may be feeling like you're always tossed back and forth and running hither and yon and all over the place. And God says, seek first the kingdom of God and my righteousness and all those other things will fall into their proper place. If we will focus on our Savior rather than on our situation, if we will focus on Christ rather than our circumstances, we will become worshipers and not worriers. God, would you center us today in you? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.